Welcome to this week's episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and ex-coffee addict. I really don't get tired of saying that, funnily enough, though occasionally I really do fancy a cup of coffee. As you may be able to tell, this is different to my usual episodes, so let's get straight to the content you're here for. Join me and my guest, author Veronica Henry, as we talk about her fantastic 2023 release, 30 Days in Paris, and everything from being an au pair to traveling in Paris, and the importance of self-discovery. here with Veronica Henry to talk about her latest novel. The the novel is 30 Days in Paris. Now it is a really lovely novel and I'm not as you know this is a spoiler free podcast. So would you like to tell those who haven't read the book about the story and the characters that you created? Of course yes. Um Thank you for having me, by the way, firstly. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) So 30 Days in Paris is about 30 Days in Paris. It's basically about Juliet, who's 50-something. She has amicably separated from her husband. They were just kind of drifting apart and decided that they wanted to go their separate ways. And she decides um, to rent an apartment in Paris for 30 days and rediscover her 20-year-old self. Um, And the book is in two timelines. So when Juliet was 20, she went to Paris as an au pair, fell head over heels in love with the city um, and also with someone. But it all went a bit wrong and she had to leave under a cloud um, and has never been back. But she always has always wondered um, about her sort of 20, 20 year old self and how she might have been had she stayed. So she thinks, right, I'm going to go back to Paris. She's also writing a novel because she's a ghostwriter by trade, um, but wants to write something with her own name on the front. So she is using her story, her au pair story, as the basis of her novel. So she rents her little apartment and there we have it. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> that That's the thing I loved about it. When you talk about her arriving in I mean the start of it where obviously they're packing up their home Mm -hmm. and she says how her husband seems so detached from it already Mm. I found that very interesting especially when you consider that she still has that tie to her husband and she's still very close to him yeah when so many books have this resentment the acrimonious divorce and that's the reason they decide to move on you've given Juliet this friendly relationship with Stuart he's there's no animosity there's no oh you're leaving me for somebody else it's that acceptance so it gives her the strength to go back to a a time that was in some ways quite painful for her absolutely yeah I didn't want the book to be clouded by by separation divorce and all the you know the the pain of that that that's not what it was about for me for me it was very much about her her sort of renaissance, if you like, if that's too pretentious. <laughs> not at all. Be joyful and uplifting and not kind of tainted, really. Um, so I kind of worked really hard on that. And I think it is, I do know quite a few people who've just sort of, it's it's not that they don't love each other anymore. It's just that they're not living their best lives together anymore. And they both have very different interests. So I kind of wanted to reflect that too. Um which, yeah, I mean, it was still interesting because she still, you know, it, it, it's about divided loyalties as well and still questioning whether you've done the right thing. And I felt, I found that more interesting story than some, some sort of horrible, you know, divorce court, I'll see you in court scenario. Oh, there are so many of those, you read them and it's like, I, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been on social media when they've got all of those adverts and every single one of the adverts for a game is, your boyfriend, you found your husband is cheating on you. You've just had a baby. Are you going to stay or are you going to leave? And it's like, hang on a second, this is a game. Oh, goodness, I haven't seen those. No, I'm obviously not in the right demographic for that. But gosh, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say I'm in the right demographic either. I just... <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, I just wanted to write something uplifting, I think, uh, but but also real, not just sort of sugary. Um, so there are dilemmas for her. There are choices for her to make. There is sort of a, a tinge of regret every now and again and a, and a need to kind of be brave. So she is tested, but um, not not traumatized by it. And, yeah, but she, that's the thing. She's taking a step. Not only, I mean, she's revisiting a moment in her past that obviously yes. she does have sadness. There are there are moments of not regret so much as that feeling of, well, if I'd done something differently, maybe this would have happened. Or what ex- you don't obviously we're not going. I'm not going to spoil it. No, no. But there is that that moment where you sort of sit there and go as a reader oh my god that's horrible (laughs) yeah I think I think for me it's about I think at the time when she was 20 and the situation she is was in and the events that occurred she wasn't in control she didn't feel in control she was a stranger in a city where she didn't really speak the language she was very much out of her depth very naive and I think 50 year old Juliet goes back and goes right I love I'm in control charge. this time. <laughs> I really did love how she took charge mm. when she stepped back and confronted the person who was responsible and had her say. I was sitting there thinking, yes, <laughs> this is what everybody, I think this is what everybody wants to do. They want to confront the bully. Yeah, exactly. And in a way, I mean, he was, he was a bully. He was also in a position of control and power over yeah. her. So, I mean, that's the thing I found very interesting. Having been an au pair myself, yes. my situation was nowhere near as um, glamorous. I wasn't in Paris. So I was in a tiny town in the, the sort of at the bottom of a mountain range bordering on Italy and Yugoslavia, as it yeah, was at that time in Austria. So, <laughs> but I also didn't speak the language and yes, I was... You're very vulnerable. <laughs> and you just... And, and I think that's the thing I could identify with Juliet at that point. Yeah. I looked at her and I thought, this is familiar. I did feel that way. I was thousands of miles from home. I think it was about 1500. I was on my own. I didn't speak the language. And had I wanted to go home at that point, it wouldn't have been easy. No. And uh, this, so this was, uh, this was set, I think, 30 years ago. And of course, in those days, there was no internet. You, you barely even used the telephone very much in those days. You, know, you might, you know, if it was an extreme emergency, um, phone home. But other than that, you were pretty much cut off. And, uh, and also, you had no way of finding people. Um, no. So. As, some, as, as we discover when Juliet goes on a, a date and she stood up. Mm, exactly. But she wasn't really stood up. No, exactly. Was, there was no she got the address wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it was a very, very different time and a very different, you know, very different way of living. And I and I yes, really yes. enjoyed going back and thinking, oh my god, how did we cope? <laughs> how did we, cope? we? We always say life was simpler. I mean, I was over there, over in Austria in 1992. Mm. So you just you. You think, oh, well, I had a scheduled time for phoning my mum on a Saturday morning. Yep. And if I missed that time slot, there wasn't another one until the following Saturday because phone calls were expensive. Yeah. So, and there was no way of, uh, if you wanted to find out where someone lived or what their phone number was, you had to have more than a tiny bit of information about them. It, it would prove impossible, really. So, yeah, that was that was kind of interesting um reflecting all of that and um traveling back in time and thinking how would that how would that how can I make this story work (laughs) because I go you know it's um logistically tricky when you don't have mobile phones for characters oh absolutely (laughs) but that's what gave it there there was that obvious that feeling of nostalgia Mm. because especially if you're reading it as someone who is a similar age to the character you've got that way of identifying I remember feeling that way I remember not being able to just pick up my mobile phone and scroll through the numbers to find somebody and when you met up with people it was so prearranged oh my god yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely or you were just very spontaneous and just kind of went with what was whatever was going on around you yeah I think I horrified a friend one day when I said 
I, I told her that when we used to go clubbing when I was living in Austria <laughs> to get home because we lived in such an out of the way place. There were trains that ran, but they only ran to the near the next nearest town, which was still 25 minutes away from where I lived. We'd go up to strangers. Me and my friend would just go up to complete strangers in the bar and say, hey, do you live in St. Fate? <gasps> no. And get lift, yes. And get lifts home with them. And this, it sounds weird. This book <laughs> reminds me so much of all the almost carefree, careless things we did. The bravado and the, the yeah. risk taking. Oh, well, An eighteen-year-old girl. I'd literally Ooh. just walk up to someone and go, "Hey, wants to in the air von Saint Veit? <laughs> Can you give me a lift?" Crikey! Well, that slightly makes my blood run cold. But tell the tale. But that was kind of what Juliet was doing. She was in a strange country. She met. Um, obviously, she made friends there. With um, she had Natalie who was a fantastic character. She was so vibrant. Yeah, I loved Natalie. She was she was a little force of nature and is kind of living my dream, really. So she was um, Juliet's great friend when they met as 20-year-olds and was sort of, you know, pushing her to wear sort of more Parisian clothes and you know, just taking her to all the clubs. And, you know, she's that friend that you need that's going to push you out of your comfort zone and then Absolutely. 30 years later they reconnect and, and Natalie's just running this really cool bar <laughs> just has got it got it all yeah. going on Natalie is living that the life that she always wanted to live mm. and in some way it's a it's very much a contrast to Juliet yes totally I mean you know Juliet kind of had the family and was working from home and was all things to all people it, you know that whole sort of thing when you feel you're spread rather too thinly amongst your loved ones <laughs> whereas Natalie's like nope <laughs> I'm just it's just all about me <laughs> what I want to do she um, did everything she took life by the horns and the bull by the horns yeah. and just went for it you did that's what that's how her character came across from the very start with the, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And then obviously she was given the the means to do it. Yes. But when she meets up with Juliet again, there is, there's a certain sadness to her while there's also yeah, joy in what is, she's got. I think we're always wistful about what we could have had and what could have happened. Um, and and that's a little bit about you know the theme of the book in a way um yeah just sort of the path you choose to take is it the right one I suppose but that's the thing I mean Judith obviously though she has those regrets what would have happened if I'd stayed and everything else she's not unhappy with what she's got she's got two children that she loves she's got a good relationship with her ex-husband and she's got the chance to start over yeah and I think it's just about her resetting really and just making sure that she's driving the bus <laughs> through the next 20 years which oh, she does which she completely yeah. does <laughs> she get I mean she gets the dream the garret it sounds so weird but I can remember being I can remember being a teenager or someone in my early 20s and saying I want to live in a garret flat in Paris Absolutely. I don't know why but that's what I wanted and I can't remember if it's because I saw it in a film or a tv program or something but there was this romantic ideal that a, a Paris garret flat would be the perfect life Oh, exactly. I mean, I think that's a very, it's a kind of not Parisian cliche exactly, but they, they call them the chambre de bon, which is the maid's room, which is the little attic room that's kind of right stuffed into the eaves of, you know, so they they haven't got a proper ceiling, you know, it's all just on a, yeah. on an angle, a bit like in Emily in Paris, actually, I think they live in a chambre de bon. And of course, now they're hugely expensive and hugely desirable. You know, you can't just pick them up for nothing. And I actually rented one when um, I went to research the book. And that was just fantastic. I mean, it really was. I was living the dream. I was there for three nights, not 30 days. <laughs> but so I you, was you were living years. Juliet's life to research it. Yeah, yeah. I literally I literally had to lead, lead the life of my heroine in order to make sure every detail was correct so it was a tiny tiny little um apartment but it had the most beautiful wallpaper and a huge chandelier 
which is ridiculous and so Parisian. Like, yeah, let's put a <laughs> chandelier in this garret um, and beautiful beams. And the kitchen was minute. I mean, you couldn't have even cut your baguette up on the on the um, work surface. You'd have had to have chopped it in half first. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, no room for cook. Because Parisians don't really cook. They go out or they buy stuff in, you know. Um, and the bath as well, that was under a very slanting ceiling and... I don't know how I got in and out of it, really, but I'm glad there wasn't a hidden camera. (laughs) (laughs) I'm four foot eleven. I probably wouldn't have had as many issues. Oh my goodness me! It was it was yeah, tiny and tucked under. Hilarious. (laughs) That's the thing. I think that's that shows the difference in many ways between our style, our, our lifestyle, the UK lifestyle, and the Parisian or the more urban urban yes, lifestyle in France in, yeah. is that they spend far more of their time outside the home yeah definitely and that and that is what I mean I had a you know I there was a little writing desk in front of the window waiting for me when I got there amazingly it was kind of wonderful it was bizarre it was just so perfect um but yeah mostly I just was out and about you know discovering Paris for myself and it is a beautiful city it's fantastic. I mean, there's so much. It's art, it's music, it's food, it's wine, it's fashion. It's so many, so many things. Um, and attitude, just that Parisian attitude. And every corner you turn around, there's a story and, and amazing people just sort of, you just w- want to know who they are and what they're up to and why they're there and why are they arguing and <laughs> why are they with each other? And in, in in a much more dramatic and interesting and visual way than than London. Because they are far more expensive. No, That's one thing. I went there. Yeah, I went there for, a, for a, a trip on my own. And I spent every evening and every morning when I had my breakfast in a, a little cafe around the corner from the hotel that I was staying in, even though it had a lovely restaurant. I went to a beautiful little cafe and had my croissant, my coffee and... It was people watching. Yeah. Fascinating. Absolutely. And you just stride along the street and think, I I can remember there was just a a young man sitting in the doorway of a, a, you know, closed down building. And he was really roughy, tufty, handsome, disheveled, gorgeous. (laughs) Um, Reading, reading Camus, just sitting there. (laughs) It's like, whoa, you're such a cliche, but you're great. You wouldn't get that in London. You wouldn't get somebody sitting there reading, I don't know, George Orwell in a doorway. No, <laughs> um, I don't think so. Quite the same way. And uh, <laughs> and then you turn a corner and there was a, a man sort of in a big leather jacket with a ponytail and sunglasses arguing with this young girl in a, who was in a fur coat smoking a cigarette. I mean, it was just, it was like a film. And, I, you know, you just think, well, what's going on there? That's not weird at all. I don't need to stand here and try and listen to what they're saying. Yeah, well, that would be impossible because I'm sure my French wouldn't have been up to it. But <laughs> Why did you pick Paris out of all of the cities? Was it because of that romanticism? Yeah, I just, I've always loved Paris and it was somewhere that I, and I don't know it super well, but I know it quite well enough to know that I love it. Um, and I think it's just one of those places where you can be whoever you want to be when you turn up there. It's sort of, you just slip into it like a like a fur coat itself. It's it's um, and it is romantic. You know that is that is what it's all about, isn't it? It's it's for lovers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as the lights go down in the evening, the dusk falls, and the you know, ugh, yeah, it's incredible. And it's yeah. got as I said, it's everything that I love: music, art, food. What's not to like? <laughs> I mean, and I know it- that goes on in other cities, but in a way. And I do speak a bit of French, so um, I I find it easier to integrate there than I probably would in Italy or Berlin, so. I think that's one of the things that is, I mean, au pairs are obviously not something that is so common for the everyday person. We had an au pair when I was growing up. Yeah. We we definitely did not have any money. It was purely for my mum and dad, both worked full time, three young children. Easiest way. Yeah, it was the easiest way. They had someone come over. Funnily enough, the person who I au paired for as a teenager au paired for us when I was a child. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and it was, and they came, she came over three summers when I was a child as well. 
because she was training to be a teacher and she wanted to learn more English. But you didn't, you, you weren't horrid to her. <laughs> no, she used to crochet um, toys for our Amanda Jane dolls. It was, Aww. it was wonderful. I bet she's got but... lovely memories too. <laughs> but it was, it's one of those things you don't hear so much about families having au pairs or even teenage girls going to foreign countries as au pairs anymore. Well, I don't know. Yeah, because I suppose I um, my kids are older now, so they would it, and and they were all boys. So I don't. Although I I have had friends who've had male au pairs, so it's not impossible. Um, but yes, it was definitely a lot of my friends were. I I wasn't ever one, but a lot of my friends were. And it's just kind of how you got to know a country and got to speak the language. You know, oh, absolutely! It's total immersion, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's no, there's no way around that because obviously the children you're looking after don't necessarily have very much of a grasp of any other language apart from their own. Yeah. So you are kind of thrown in at the deep end, and that was the one thing that was very obvious with Juliet when she moved into Jean Louis and Corinne's house mm. that she was far more confident in her ability but at the same time aware that she didn't have as much yes yeah no I think it is and also looking after people's children is quite scary isn't it it's, I've it's, got scars have you? <laughs> oh, yes the, the young boy I've actually got scars all oh, across my middle finger. Oh, my yeah no physical scars <laughs> oh, oh wow he oh, bit me. Um, he bit me. Drew blood and ripped skin. Yes, so <laughs> I have physical scars. Oh, not good. <laughs> Crikey! Oh well, I, I think Juliet managed to avoid yes being bitten, but um, it's still she did have mental scars though. Yeah, and it's it's tricky navigating somebody else's family as well. You know, you don't you don't know what the sort of family rules are and the family traditions and the family habits their family dynamic was very complicated yeah well Corinne had just had a baby but being French she was just like super cool and fabulous but was obviously suffering and not admitting it um and I think thought that was quite an interesting and and also at the time so she without giving too much away suffered a bit of postnatal depression and at the time that was something that wasn't really recognized or talked about or you know not something that you had admitted to ever um because it just wasn't on people's radar then you, you can't you know, there's a bit of why there's a bit of baby blues they'd call it but you'd you'd be expected to get over it by week three you know you were allowed a bit of <laughs> bit of sniveling for a couple of weeks and then that was it <laughs> you had to just carry on your life and of course I mean there was that she did get attached to the children yeah but she wasn't given enough of a chance to really get her feet under the table and maybe that wasn't necessarily a bad thing yes it did cause a lot of disruption for her and she felt mortified when she Mm. went home but given everything that was going on in the house it probably wasn't the the healthiest environment for her to be in either no I guess not um so yes and and, and I guess that's why she goes back to kind of set the set the record straight a little bit yeah, I, I lo- as I said, I loved that. I loved the fact that she sat there and I'm going back, I'm going to do this. And she did everything that she said she was going to. Yeah. But she also faced the de- her past demons, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Which, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I think she surprises herself, actually. I think she was sort of slightly fantasizing about it and then the opportunity presented itself and she just thought, right. <laughs> right mate <laughs> but it I mean at any age it takes courage to up sticks and just move somewhere else for however long you're going to go oh certainly I mean you know I I have a secret dream of living in Paris um but obviously Brexit's stopped that <laughs> I mean I could for a few months three well 90 days <laughs> 90 days in Paris I would be allowed um, but yes, I, w- I really would love that to, to sort of, and uh, you know, that's, that's what I had a taste of when I went over and kind of had that little apartment. I thought I can do this. This is, this is great. <laughs> I'm not sure how the dog would fit in though. I do have a small dog, but they like, they like their dogs. They're small dogs. They do indeed. 
<laughs> maybe I think they're probably far more accommodating than a lot of places over here are when it comes to animals possibly she's just a tiny bit too big to fit into a handbag but <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yes and obviously the one thing that we haven't touched on is oh, yeah. Olivier oh yes the French heart throb yeah and even when he's older he still sounds enchanting well you've got to make these these heroes attractive in books <laughs> we do indeed <laughs> you don't want to yeah so he was he was fun to write really fun to write and it's that kind of whole thing of you know that first beautiful boy that you fall in love with and all the the traits I mean it's really weird the minute I gave him a a yellow cashmere scarf he just came to life I don't know he just it's really writing's a weird thing you know <laughs> it's funny how characters just sort of slot into place when you just give them a few little characteristics and that that scarf of Olivier's that his oh, clearly his mother had bought it his very chic ballerina mother had bought it and it's obviously cashmere and and that just kind of summed him up straight away but it's what Juliet kind of fell for he had a lan didn't he yes a perfect he word for lan. Olivier yes he did he had that sort of cool sort of slightly aloof pretty boy Parisian chic but he never lost it either no after all those years I mean I think he became more of my perfect man when he was when he was older oh Oh. sitting in that bookshop yes (laughs) yes well there we are I know (laughs) I did (laughs) I did go on French tinder while I was over there just just to have a look (laughs) To see if there were, just out of curiosity, just research, just to see if there were any Olivier-esque um, <laughs> potential dates, but there weren't. <laughs> I imagine there were plenty sitting in cafes, smoking galois, drinking coffee and reading Camus or yeah, Sartre or something else. <laughs> it's not bad, Parisian Tinder, I'll, I'll say that. But I didn't, I didn't follow it up. I was just sort of, you know, browsing, window shopping. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with research. Lush <laughs> between, they call it, window shopping, <laughs> window looking. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, I, I loved his character and the way that they, it was almost as though t- no time had passed, even though obviously we knew it had. Yes. There was still that spark. And the same as there was still that friendship, that bond between Natalie and Juliet. It was as though time had almost concertinaed. Yes, exactly. It's. It, it, I just wanted to reflect those really intense um, friendships and relationships that you have at that sort of, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, when yeah. you're really drawn to somebody that has the same interests as you, but you also learn from each other. And I really love that part of the book where they're, you know, they're kind of sharing books and films and music and food and, you know, just sort of sh- showing each other about life. Um, and I guess that sort of brought them together so much that they were able to replicate it when they were older um, and share their experiences and and still have adventures together. Yeah. I mean, both Olivier and Juliet had gone through divorces, though Olivier mm. sounded far less pleasant than hers did. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I can't just reflect perfect divorces endlessly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, nice. it's a little more... Little more um, disruptive I suppose Um, so he was also a little bit more wary I think he was not quite so um he was a bit battle scarred I think so she had to work at it but then that made it far more worthwhile yeah exactly and I, I I just loved the way that all of their relationships were reflected because there were so many, you could almost see the strings tying her with everything, her experiences, her friends, her family, even the little apartment in Paris and her home in England that she had to cut ties with because it was no longer her home. Yes. Yeah, well, life's complicated, isn't it? And... There's so many things that make us who we are, so many bits of our past and so many, you know, regrets and hopes. And and then the things that we've done right, that we should that we should pat ourselves on the back on, on the back for, you know, because she's a good person. 
No, she's person. No, yes, uh, and I really wanted to reflect the fact that she was happy with who she'd become. Um, you know, she was a great mom. She had a good career. She was a good wife. Um, but you know, it, things changed. If I've learned anything in life, it's that nothing stays the same for very long. No. Right. <laughs> Oh, sometimes it would be so simple if it did, but then I don't think we'd learn anything. No, uh, and we have to make choices endlessly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, again, as I, I think I said before, it was really just about her picking up the reins and, and taking control and sort of dictating the pace of what was going to happen next. She made interesting choices and this time they worked, which was nice when you see how because obviously as you said it, we see it, it's in two different timelines are together and you've got the chapters with her in the past but the events that are in the past are tying to the next chapter and the events that yes. occur she's kind of trying to put them right as she's writing them yes yeah 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 that was quite difficult sort of um making sure that the stories constantly resonated throughout throughout the book and and there was a sort of definite rhythm to it all um, until they kind of dovetailed together um, towards the end. And, and I think what I really wanted to reflect was um, a, a woman who was confident because so many women of 50-something in literature and books and might, uh, uh, at the moment are reflected as, you know, losing the plot a bit. <laughs> And and feeling a bit overwhelmed by life and as if they haven't got any agency. And I really wanted to show somebody that, yeah, had, you know, little crises and and um, wobbles, but was basically pretty strong, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Either I'm reading the wrong books or um, I don't often come across a second chance that is about women that are my age. I mean, oh. I've I've got loads of books where the main female character is in her 30s or her late 20s or her late 30s even. I mm. turn 50 next February. But, I, but you don't often find a romance where the heroine is in her 50s. I think there's, there's a few more coming out now. I think women of that age are really, really fascinating. Um, well, they've had a lot of life experience. They've had a lot of life experience. They've hopefully made all of their mistakes um, and they've got choice and they're not, they're not, they're operating on a different level of um, priorities. I think, I think it's very much more about them now, you know, what they want um, and having fun, actually having a good time and not taking any crap from anybody <laughs> and making it all on their terms. Um, yeah. So it's a yeah, really interesting dynamic. That's it with Juliet. Her children have grown up. They've left home. Mm. Her husband and her have realized that their relationship is no longer where they wanted it, where it was 15, 20 years ago. And she's now going, right, this is my second chance. And that's what I love about it. It is her. She's gone. I'm going to live again. And I've got all of this, this time in, ahead of me. I'm going to look upon it with, as my moment to do everything for myself. Mm. Yeah, and I think she does. She does do that, and I, I, I think that wisdom and experience and confidence means, yeah, you can make mistakes, but you're not going to make such big ones. I don't think you can take. You'll take risks, but it's not all going to fall apart because you know when to draw the line, and you know when somebody's messing you about. All of those things. You kind of you've you've learned a lot. So. Yeah hopefully it's a it's a better experience that's I mean I think if you take anything from this book it's that the second time around she does everything the way she wishes the way it could have been done had she not been so young yes exactly so it's a, a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> I like happy endings yes exactly but we're not going to say exactly what the happy ending no, is it's or... not it's not sugary, you know, it's just no satisfying, hopefully, hopefully. That's I mean, I think I think a sugary ending is one where it's you know that they're going to go off into the sunset together, but you also have those questions, well, what happens in five years' time? Whereas with this one, you know 
she's going, she's looking to the future with the knowledge that she already has behind her. Yeah. So she's not naive. No, no, no. And she, she still doesn't know what's going to happen. It's just that she's set, she's set the, she set the scene for herself. And she's confident that whatever it has ahead of her, she's in charge. Mm, exactly. Exactly. I like that she's in charge. I love, <laughs> I really do. I, as I said, I admire her for the fact that she stands up for herself this time and she confronts all of the things that she didn't feel confident or secure enough to confront the last time she was in Paris. Exactly. And, and again, it's about getting the balance right because although she's confident and in charge, I didn't want to make her sort of overbearing and terrifying she's still very human and still very kind and still still sort of questions herself so she's not like this sort of charging into battle person no Um, she's just much happier about speaking up and saying what she wants but that's the thing I mean the the karma almost the the lovely side of her comes across obviously when things happen back in England with her family Yes, and she immediately steps into the fray and immediately goes and helps when she didn't actually have to any longer. She still steps up and says, "Yeah, I'll do this," and drops everything for her husband, for her ex husband. Yeah, no, she's a, she's a good person and she's got her priorities right, and she's happy. You know, she's never going to be compromised. She she follows her heart and her head in a really good. You know, it's it's always a balance, isn't it? I always think life's a sort of mixture of head heart and gut and if you can get those speaking to each other I think you've got it cracked and I think that's what Juliet manages you know she she knows what's right logically with her brain she knows what she feels passionate about passionate about but she also can sort of get the vibe (laughs) with her with her with her stomach you know if things are going wrong she's like oh this doesn't no. feel good. This doesn't feel right. And yeah, so that's that's my recipe for life, really, is getting those three things in sync. Which is a very good recipe. It's yeah, practical, but not, not always possible. <laughs> no, but that's it, though, isn't it? I think that that's one of the things that everybody has to learn. Yeah. And obviously, she has learned. And you can only learn it from experience. I mean, you can't sort of be told, oh, follow your heart or listen to your gut or you you can't, you have to learn by making mistakes. Can you imagine how disastrous it would be if everybody <laughs> did always immediately follow their heart? Well, yeah, exactly. But you just kind of get, you, you kind of get, oh, okay. So when I did that, that didn't work out. So, okay, why? <laughs> you have to analyze things, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. So... With these characters, would you ever revisit these characters? I mean, obviously, Natalie's story is still... To be told. That would yes. be interesting, wouldn't it? Um, I never say never. I, I mean, I'd love to go back to Paris. So maybe it's through them, but meeting some new characters or, oh, I don't know, a little Parisian wedding. <laughs> <laughs> a second wedding, that might be fun. Who knows? Oh, you've got me thinking now. You could always revisit Hugo and Charlotte as adults. Oh, yes, the, the children. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I'm sure there's room. I'm sure there's room. Well, you know, I mean, how many series of Emily in Paris, <laughs> right? Three? I think. Yeah, there's another one coming. So they've managed to, you know, I'm sure if if they can do it, I can do it. I'm also, obs- I'm also obsessed with that. Have you ever watched the... Paris Agency on Netflix about the um, Parisian estate agents family of estate agents it's a um real they're real people no the last I think the um I were watched um Dipersant oh yeah yeah yeah. oh my god amazing I loved that fantastic absolutely loved it um oh no so the Paris I think it's called the Paris Agency or the Parisian Agency yeah they do very 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 high-end houses house sales and they're they're all gorgeous there's three four boys I think and papa and a, a, a very fabulous mother and um well that's what Jean-Louis yeah. is a an estate yes agent, he? Oh, I wonder if that's where I got the idea I don't know <laughs> <laughs> he's a very um, charming estate agent who you who knows how to use his charm 
yes exactly um so so yeah that that that, that was just fun to watch for for all of the gorgeous parisian houses and yes bit of research there <laughs> yeah i did a um i t- i did a cruise along the seine oh did you i was in paris and you get to see all of the houses along the seine as well as the baccalauréat and everything else and oh wow the houses are just incredible because all you see is the deck and the bit that goes down with that so they've got their their yacht or their their, oh, ship, yeah. their boat pulled up and, outside yeah and yes. it's incredible well wow, I've never I don't think I no I've never been on a boat trip on the on the Seine actually it was a big mistake as I get quite um seasick oh, oh right there is not my friend but mm. <laughs> it mm. was it was a fa- it was a fantastic cruise next time I'll give that a go Definitely. Definitely. I thought I can't even remember. I think I got it as part of a package with my train ticket. Oh, there's no shortage of of, of um offers on that front. <laughs> Absolutely not. But it's one of those, as you said, it's the the Parisian houses all the way along. They are incredible, the architecture, the design, and they are just so grand. So yeah, I know. Um probably a little bit out of reach. One can dream. <laughs> one can. Well maybe they'll be on Airbnb. <laughs> Oh yes, there is that. Yeah, that that's that's just such a great way of getting in. <laughs> I just want to do a quick tour of this one. Glimpse of another life. <laughs> Absolutely, but it is. I think Paris is one of those places that we're always. I, I think we're always going to romanticize to a degree. I guess so, and you know there is an underbelly as there uh, as there is in any city. You know, there's there's a lot of homeless. There's a lot of tension um especially now I think that's what yeah yeah especially now um yeah with the well you know look at the Bataclan and all you know there's been it, it it's a very it can be very show hot yes. <laughs> things can be going on um and I think that gives it an edge which I also love you know it's not just it isn't just like Emily in Paris and all, all sort of gorgeous frocks and and glitzy restaurants there that's is another surface. side yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important to experience both of those things and sort of step out of the very obvious. Oh, definitely. I think that's, that is something that obviously Juliet does get a small chance to see living there rather than mm. visiting. And I think it's only polite, really, to make sure that you understand how a city works and how it's, you know, what people really are all about. Definitely. Hmm. Um, I like the fact that it is Paris. I mean, I've been there and I think anybody who's been there knows there are certain elements of the city that are a little bit, as you said, darker. There is the underbelly. But at the same time, as a tourist, you tend to overlook that bit for the artists who are painting on uh, by the walls of the Seine. You, uh, by the, yeah, by the, the walls of the Seine, you've got obviously the great big, square in front of Notre Dame with all the cafes and cafe culture is incredible there that's one very very good reason to go far better than here <laughs> mm, absolutely um and yes you know the Place de Tetra near Montmartre and the Sacré-Cœur you know it's heaving with <laughs> opportunities to have your <laughs> money taken taken from you legitimately but you know over, yes. <laughs> overcharged just that bit um but I think I think what's great now about the the, the internet is you, you can really research where you're going um, and find really interesting places and and know you know what the dangers are, what to watch out for, but also to be just a bit more experimental and not go for the obvious. Um, yeah. So I did, I did a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of amazing Parisian travel blogs um, where you can just find the really cool little you know neighborhood restaurant that isn't isn't the the, the touristy one but so also think- getting that balance between what occurred in the late 80s early 90s and today because obviously mm. you were writing with the two timelines yeah yeah so I had that bit was a little bit more complicated yeah I had been to to Paris at, at, at that time so um I had a great friend who was half French who had a had, had a flat so I used to go and stay with her. So I kind of um, just remembered what it was like. 
Um, and so, and that bit where um, she gets her wallet stolen at the Gare du Nord literally yeah. happened to me. That is word for <laughs> word what happened to me. Turned up, went to get my Metro <laughs> tickets and looked down and that's it. Purse gone. Oh, no. um, yeah. So I was stuck there for I'd, not very long, four or five days, but without any money. <laughs> and in those um, days, there was no way of get, getting any money. You couldn't, I don't know, they just... That was it. You had no money. You couldn't just um, <laughs> phone the bank on your mobile and no. stop your card. No, 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 no. So, um, yeah, I can remember that. Rem- remember. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was staying with a friend, so obviously I didn't starve. But, but um, yeah, so that was <laughs> that was a lesson learned. That's it, though. I mean, do you off? Do you take a lot of what you've learned in life? and put it into your characters and give your characters those particular qualities or do you create them the minute as you said with Olivier the minute he had the yellow scarf he he had a character or his character was started yeah it's a kind of a mixture I mean obviously my life experiences have a huge influence on what I write but it's a kind of layering process it's mixed in with stuff other people have told me books I've read movies I've watched um and my imagination so it really is you know I can't necessarily say how a scene is is created it really is a sort of it's a cocktail if you like of of all of those things um and I don't know it's creativity is a really weird thing it's very hard to measure and it's very hard to know where ideas come from and why a yellow scarf would work and I'm sure probably back in the day I saw some lovely gorgeous boy who had a yellow scarf on and it's probably in the in, some, in my database somewhere and I've pulled him out <laughs> yellow <laughs> oh he doesn't know it he is on he is now on paper yeah, exactly forever so it's, a, it's a sort of cannibalization almost it's like being a magpie picking up little bits here and there and then building up a picture that, that that's nice though the fact that these little tiny little things can be sitting there and grow like a, a pearl in an oyster yeah yeah exactly you've got it <laughs> a little bit of grit and then it all comes into something hopefully something beautiful that's, that's I I, what I always find incredible every writer has a different way of creating their characters and their story and the way that their plot develops is so different well, well, I have to say it's different every time as well. I mean, I've done 23 books now and I don't think my process is exactly the same every time. I know how I work to a certain extent and I know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are, but I, d- I don't have a tried and tested formula that works because every book's got to be different. So you can't just do the same thing again. <laughs> You've got to get a whole different set of characters, a whole different story and a whole different set of dynamics and a whole different setting. So you are really starting from scratch every time and it's always terrifying but also exciting. Um and yeah, it, it it's never easy. Are you already planning your next book? I finished the next book, but I can't oh, tell wow. you anything about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm thinking about the one after that. So, well, I've nearly finished the, this one. It, I'm sort of on the on the the final draft, hopefully, before it goes to copy edits. Oh wow! Um, How long does it normally take you to write a book, or does that also differ depending uh, on? That differs. I mean, I write a book a year, so um, I suppose I spend a, the biggest part of that time on the on the first draft. But it is a draft process, so then that gets delivered, and it's sort of not rough but I know that it's not perfect when I send it in I know that there's holes and I know that there's inconsistencies and I know there's bits that could be much better but I kind of need a fresh set of eyes because I'm writing under pressure within that schedule I don't have time to perfect it before I send it in I'd rather have that, that that other set of eyes on earlier in the process so I can be more confident about the second draft so they can highlight any plot holes or... Yeah, or something that they really don't think is working. Um, because you have to take so much into consideration nowadays, you know, of, of things that people might be sensitive to or not not like or... Yeah, so 
you have to be much more aware, I think. So does that do you find it harder now than when you started? Because obviously your first book was published in, two, I want to say, 2002? I think it was 2002. Yeah, I think you could get away with a lot more. more. I mean, I go back and reread my earlier books and think, oh, couldn't get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> Let that person, you know, everybody behaved really quite badly. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, there's much more of a firm hand at the helm I think um you have to be much more conscious of not upsetting anybody or not uh, you know if people are behaving badly then they have to be bad people almost you know there's no redemption arc (laughs) not not so much I don't know it's again it's about balance but just being aware while you're writing that if somebody's gonna get up to no good they're gonna be judged definitely then I suppose in a way there are certain things that we were far more lax about earlier on than we are now yes exactly well it's why um for example Jean-Louis in in the book you know I had to think very carefully about how to sort of redeem him by the end because times were different and I don't want to give too much away, but no. you know, I didn't want to just make him a bad person. But obviously, he was—he he was nice, a bit out of order. <laughs> so yeah, but but I wanted him back in the story in the present day, and not to just be a villain, a pantomime villain. Um, yeah. But then, by giving Juliet her strength, you confronted yeah. what he'd done through her eyes, rather yeah. than by vindicating him, really. Yeah, and I think I think we're okay with him in the end, just about. Yeah, because he gets his comeuppance. Mm. 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 He's not redeemed so much as certain perspectives are changed, I suppose. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it has to be the tactful way of saying it. Yes, I don't want to give too much too much away. But. No, definitely not. But it's it's one of the I think it's one of those books, and I'm looking forward to finding out more about your next one. Oh, well, yeah, as soon as I can say something, I will let you know. <laughs> I'll put my finger on that email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be Definitely. too yeah, I just want to get it right before I start talking about it. You know, it's, it's, um, anyway. It's one of those things. I think that some, I think sometimes you have to be quite protective before you let something out into the world for fear. Well, especially if it's going to change. Yeah. And I just want to be confident about it. Um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> Which is always good. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, 30 Days in Paris was fantastic. It was, oh, I, as I said, I love finding books that are about characters my age because there aren't as many as I'd like there to be. Well, I think there's, yeah, I think, as I said, I think there's more more people of my age writing about that for this time of life. Um, yeah. Because we had, you know, we had all the, I don't like to use the word chiclet, but that is what it was called at the time. You know that now that's... isn't it now called contemporary romance or contemporary? Who knows? Romance? I don't like pigeonholing either, really. But um, it's difficult. All those women have grown up now. You know that they were writing about, so they're all this age, um, and there there are still stories to be told. Very much so. Absolutely, which is great because <laughs> I started reading what was chiclet back in my. 20s I think and have carried on I've still got I've got loads of it on my shelves I think I saw yeah I think um I think Bridget Jones is 25 years old today the the book not the oh wow I was gonna say she's 25 years old then yeah yeah doing very well actually no she's aged really badly (laughs) I think so yeah so she but obviously you know they've revisited her they have indeed Uh, but it's it's one of those things I think that everybody has a genre that they will go back to in comfort, and this mm. is probably mine. Oh, good! We need you. <laughs> <laughs> it used there used to be far more of a not a stigma, but people would, I think, because of what it was referred to, they would look down their noses at it far more than they do now. Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, I, I know that my books are not existential in any way. <laughs> I'm not trying to say something deep and profound, but I do think 
I do think you can learn a lot from this kind of book, you know, and so many women have, have written reviews on Amazon or and said, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to do this now. And it's quite empowering. So I think it is really important to have. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, I think they're much more of a, you know, commercial women's fiction is a much more accurate reflection of what happens in life than any thriller. You know, thrillers are just, you know, mostly you're not going to get stabbed going to, mostly that kind of stuff is you're not going to have a psychopathic neighbor who's going to kidnap you so I think they are you know they're much more a true reflection of what's going on in most people's lives yeah I think the most psychopathic thing my neighbor does is vacuum at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning yeah that's that's quite annoying (laughs) (laughs) but that's it I don't think they're going to be um arriving on my doorstep with a knife or a gun at any time soon exactly so yeah, we're 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 writing the truth. That's what we're writing. <laughs> An experience too. Yeah, uh, relatable stuff. I don't, you know, that's a much overused word, but you know, very often I say, oh, people say to me, oh my god, that happened to me, or yeah. It, uh, it's, I think it's underestimated. And that, well, that's when you know that you're reflecting people's lives back at them, but also taking them on a little bit of a journey and saying, well, this is how it could be. Yes, I I, I don't think. That I mean, there are certain things that you would love to happen. I mean, everyone would probably love to go to Paris and meet an Olivier. Yes, I, mean, I know that is not within everybody's. But <laughs> you've got to have a dream, though. And also, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. No, and you can have a sort of slight, you know, a slightly watered down your your own version of that. You know, I'm writing it, but I'm not living it. I did live it for three three days, all of three days, but there was no Olivier involved. But so it's about little things like that, just thinking, okay, I might not be able to have that, but I could do this. Yeah. Or I could go exactly. and buy a red lipstick. It, uh, actually, yes, a friend of mine said, you made me go and buy a red lipstick because at the beginning of the book, yes. Juliet puts on a Yves Saint Laurent red lipstick. And um, a, a friend of mine said, I've, I had to go and I had to go buy a Yves Saint Laurent red lipstick. And that's great. So that is, that's kind of, how fun is that? That's inspiring. And if it makes, if it inspires somebody to take a trip to Paris or mm. Rome or Venice or somewhere else just to experience something new, then that's mm. amazing. Mm. So, yes, Eurostar's all booked out now. <laughs> <laughs> they should hire you to do their publicity. Yes. <laughs> and next, next time we're in Florence. <laughs> I, I love the idea of travel far more than packing the suitcase and getting on the plane. Yeah, that is always a bit of a... But then once you're there... Yes. you're there... I just need to get a new passport. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, maybe sort that out. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it's been fantastic to chat with you about this because oh. it's, it's actually made me revisit my, my, my time in Paris, even though it was short, my... In my perspective, well, it was very, very short, but I did travel on my own. So it just made me want to go back. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Get your passport sorted and get on that train. (laughs) It's it's just such a fantastic location. It's also made me revisit my time as a teenager in Austria. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I can't help you with that. (laughs) Flying on a hinky little plane from Vienna to Klagenfurt. Wow. And um, watching as they drove a tank onto the river, onto the lake next to the Ooh. school to test that the ice was thick enough for ice oh, skating. I, say, I guess there was ice, right? <laughs> yeah. There was ice. But it was it was an experience in itself. So it's it's lovely to revisit that kind of thing. And I think that's what this book does. It oh. encourages you to revisit. Good, 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 good. Well, it was fun to write, I have to say. It really was. Yes, I look forward to the next one and to finding out what the next one is about. <laughs> you will be the first, well, one of the first to know. <laughs> Fantastic. Where can people find you and obviously more information about the books that you've written? Okay, so I'm on Instagram as Veronica Henry author and also Facebook as that. Um, and on Twitter, Veronica, Veronica underscore Henry, I think. Uh, I've got a website. VeronicaHenry.co.uk. Where else? Hmm. Amazon has got all my books on it. So if, if you know, 
Yeah, I will link the pages in the note. Yeah, yeah. So all the usual platforms, I guess. (laughs) Not TikTok. (laughs) I'm I'm on TikTok, but I don't do TikToks. But it's been fantastic to talk to you. It's been lovely to... My pleasure, honestly, it's been it's been wonderful to talk about teenage years and Paris. I've really got to go back. What a combo. (laughs) (laughs) You you must. Well, thank you again ever so much for coming on. And I look forward to hearing more about your next book. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. And thank you again to my guest, the author Veronica Henry. Her latest book, 30 Days in Paris, is out now, published by Orion Books. It's a great novel about second chances in lots of ways, so I will post the links to where you can find it below. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family, and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen, because it really does help. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish, on Instagram and threads as being bookish pod, and on TikTok you'll find my videos under being bookish reviews, and I am sort of getting better at doing that. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and another new book is calling me because I've had a few delivered. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.